0: Hey church family, so good to be with you again on this Sunday to worship together and praise God together and so glad that you've joined us this morning. Just again a reminder we are meeting outside for the time being. At some point we will move back inside as the weather gets cooler but for the time being we are still meeting outside at 10 30 and we'd love to have you join us but we're also glad if you're not comfortable with that yet that you've joined us online and uh, just so glad to, to be able to find different avenues to be able to get together even in the midst of all that's going on in our country and our world to to still be able to to meet even though it may be virtual or even if you come and join us online or excuse me outside here at the church building. It's just still good to be able to get together and know that whether we're together physically or not we still are, are one through Jesus and the bond that we have as Christian brothers and sisters and, and so thankful just to be able to have these avenues where we can Get together and, and praise God and, and hopefully grow in our relationships with each other and with him. I heard a story about a, a guy who was working in the produce department at a grocery store and a lady walked in and, and she said to the, the young man who was working, she said, I, sir, I, I'd like to buy half a head of lettuce. And the guy said, well, I'm sorry, man, we, we don't sell half a head of lettuce. We just sell whole heads of lettuce. That's just kind of the way you have to buy it. We don't, we don't sell half a head. And she said, I understand that, but I've been shopping at this store long enough that I think I ought to be able to buy half a head of lettuce if I want to. And I don't need a full head of lettuce. I need half a head of lettuce. And he said, ma'am, I understand what you're saying, but I, I'm sorry. There's not much I can do. That's the way that, that we sell them. And she said, okay, well, can you at least go talk to your manager and see if maybe he has a half head of lettuce back there the, and <clears throat> back in stock or there's or something we can do. And, He kind of resigned to the fact that she was not giving up. And so he said, okay, fine, I'll I'll go and talk to my manager. And so he went and and tracked down his manager, (coughs) excuse me, in another aisle. And and he said to the manager, listen, you are not going to believe this, but there is some lame brain lady back there who wants to buy half a head of lettuce. Can you believe that? And about the time that he's saying these words, that these words are coming out of his mouth, the manager notices that the woman is coming behind him. And so he's trying to gesture to the guy to, to stop, you know, because she's coming up behind him. And as soon as the words come, you know, start to come out of his mouth, he, he you know, he's kind of realizing the, the manager is gesturing to him. And so as, as soon as those words come out, the lame brain words are coming out of his mouth, he realizes that the woman behind him. And so he turns around and he gestures to the woman and he says, And this sweet lady wants to buy the other half head of lettuce. You know, some people are, are really quick on their feet, but no matter how quick you are on your feet, there's going to be a time when your tongue gets the best of you. And unfortunately, oftentimes when that happens, it will bring out the worst in you. Trust me, I can speak from experience, and I'm guessing that you can too. Maybe that's why I relate to the old line that says, the greatest way to save face is to keep the lower part of it shut. course, that's easier said than done oftentimes. But the Bible has a lot to say about the lower part of our face, as does James. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, you may not know. But if you have, then you know that we've been walking through the book of James, and he's been talking to us about a faith that works, a faith that's moving and living and active and makes a difference in our lives and in the world around us. And today we come to our next section in our teaching time Uh, In James chapter 3 where he's going to talk to us about our tongue and about our mouth and the words come that come out of our tongues and our mouths and so James chapter 3 picking up in verse 1 James writes not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly we all stumble in many ways anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check Also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know, James talks more about the tongue and about our words than anybody else in the New Testament. In fact, in every chapter of James, I know there's only a few chapters, but in every chapter of James, there's something about the tongue and about our words. And James talks about both the good that can be brought from our tongues and the bad that can be brought from our tongues. And maybe this reality of how the tongue can be used both for good and for bad is what part of why James opens up this section by saying, listen, not many of you should try and become teachers because those who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways and anyone who's never at fault in what they say is a perfect person they're able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying a couple of things here. For one, quite frankly, he's saying the more one speaks, the more one has a an opportunity to stumble, a likelihood of stumbling. And when you consider the power of the tongue, you see why James is telling them don't don't rush to become an influencer or a leader or a teacher. A, a teacher's primary tool is their tongue, their mouth, the words that come out of their mouths. But when you recognize how difficult it is to control it, you realize that your primary asset can also become your primary liability. And it's interesting just how much respect James gives the tongue. James says, if anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're a perfect person, why? Because the tongue is so difficult to control that if you can control it, you're able to control every other part of your body and your life he says show me someone who's never at fault in what they say and i guarantee you they're going to be a perfect person because they can control everything else in their life but we all know that no one is never at fault in what they say because the tongue is quite a difficult thing to control and james goes on to talk more about the the power of the tongue in our words and so i just wanted this morning today give you three things that James talks about, three specific things that he, that he gives us in this passage for us to think about the power of our, of our tongue and our words. First, our words pull a lot of weight. James says our words pull a lot of weight in our lives. And James uses two word pictures here, pun intended, to, to illustrate this. He says in verse three, you, know, you, you, you put a bit in, in the mouth of a horse and you can turn the whole horse. You can make it go in whichever direction you want to go. Or consider the rudder on a ship. A small rudder can dictate the direction of even the largest ships. Think about this for a, for a moment. Let me give you a couple examples of this. First, I'll give you an example from, from my own life. For me, my entire life changed. It is somewhat dictated by a vow that I made with my mouth on July 20th, 2002, when I, when I made a vow to my wife, Marcy. When I made that vow, it affected how I went about my life and, and how I approached every other relationship in my life. From that point on, it, it affected how I, I went about my decision-making and, and every facet of my life, to where I live, to where I work, to what I purchase, to what activities I choose to engage in. There is no decision in my life that I that take without first considering the impact that it will have on her because of that vow that I made to her, to to be one with her, to love her sacrificially, to love her uh, unconditionally. That's the vow that I made on our wedding day. And my life is lived in light of that vow, in light of that word. And yet get this, even when my life is not lived in light of that vow, it still has power and weight over my life. How? Because if I don't live in light of that vow, there are consequences to to me not living in light of it. The, The consequences can be spiritual, they could be emotional, they could be relational, they could be social, they could even be legal. That vow has weight over the course of my life and what happens in my life, whether I choose to live in light of it or not. I can't take that vow back. When I made that vow to Marcy, it has a certain amount of weight over my life, whether I live in light of it or not. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Let me give you another example. How many of us have lied or fallen into a string of lies? And here's the power of the tongue. With every lie, you have to worry about covering your tracks and making sure nobody catches you in the lie. The more you lie, the more you have to cover it up to where some people spend all their energy in their life trying to remember who, what they told to who and how much so they can keep all the scripts and narratives spinning at once. And it can be exhausting just trying to keep up with the lies and the image that you're trying to project to all these people around you and the lies that you keep fabricating until eventually you get kind of uncovered for what you are or you just wind up exhausted and burned out from all the stress of trying to cover up your tracks and keep up your image. Your tongue is actually dictating where you spend your energy when you're in a rhythm of lying. Does that make sense? Or, or think about this. How many of us have ever said things to people, and those people won't let us forget what we said? Now, part of that's on them, okay? Uh, you, you said it, so you got to own it. Now, I said it. i got to own it. But part of that's on them, you know, and, and, and that's their sin. That's their, their shortcoming of, of holding that over your head. But the fact is, you and I have made our fair share of beds that we have to lie in. And more often than not, entire relationships and the problems in them revolve around overstatements or off-the-cuff remarks that we never should have said but somebody just won't let us forget. That's the power of the tongue. And I could go on and on with examples. The point is, in so many cases, the life I'm living with right now in the present, for better and for worse, is often the fruit of my lips. And what I say either provides an atmosphere for a future blessing or for future bondage in my life. And this is, I think, some of what James is talking about when he says in verse five, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And James isn't talking about boasting here in terms of arrogance or, or presumption. He's talking about boasting in the sense that even though it's small, it can still legitimately boast about its weight and its power in my life. And whether we reap a harvest of bondage or a harvest of blessing in our lives is a lot of times tied to what we sow with our mouths and with our words. What I say can either come back to bless me or to burden me. And this is some of what I mean by by saying that our words pull a lot of weight in our lives. But not only do our words pull a lot of weight, but secondly, our words can also have far-reaching effects. Our words can also have far-reaching effects effects. James works with two more word pictures here in verses 5 through 8. James speaks of the tongue also as fire and as poison, just as it only takes a small spark to start a raging forest fire, a small amount of poison to kill a person. So it is with the tongue and with our words. And I know these are very negative word pictures that James is working with here, but he's using them because he's trying to, to show us the destructive reach of the power of the tongue. In fact, in verse 6, listen to what he says. He describes the tongue as a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body that sets the whole course of a person's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, be gentle with us, James, right? I mean, tell us how you really feel. But James, filled with the Spirit here, is challenging us to think of the relationship with our of our words even with hell and evil. He's doing everything he can to help us see that my tongue and my words can be closely related to the work of the enemy. And when you think about it, that kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, how did the devil cause Adam and Eve to sin and to fall? Did, did he just overwhelm them with some evil force or some supernatural power? No, he, he lied to them. He used words. Words are, are Satan's oldest and most effective weapon, Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 44, that when Satan speaks, his native language is lying. Deceit and lying are Satan, is Satan's native language. And there is a sense in which all of us, if we're not careful, can begin to speak the native language of the enemy as well. Now think about this. Satan is God's adversary, right? Now how did God create everything? He spoke it into existence, right? And how does Satan seek to destroy everything? In many ways, with the spoken word. I mean, this is powerful stuff, but also understand, I wanna make sure we understand this, that while Satan may be God's adversary, he is not God's equal, okay? I hope we understand that, and that's good news. And this is one of the reasons why God's word is gonna triumph in the end, and will triumph, and has triumphed, and we can know that and rest in that reality. But that's not to say that Satan can't do his fair share of damage through you, and through me in the meantime. And maybe that's why one of, if not the most condemned sins in the New Testament are often sins of the tongue and of the mouth and of the words. Why? Because the sins of the tongue are the oldest sins in the book. And it's through the power of words that the enemy has wreaked the most havoc. But if I'm gonna move beyond leaving a path of destruction with my words, I'm gonna need some help because James goes on to acknowledge this. He says, let me tell you what, All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea, they've all been tamed and and are being tamed, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's saying you can't tame it by yourself. Why? Because you're up against a power far more forceful than yourself, which is why James, I think, would then ask, have you met my half-brother Jesus? Because James found out from his experience in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost that when the Spirit is poured out on your life, one of the first things the Spirit begins to do is touch your tongue. I mean, what was the fruit of the Spirit in, in Luke chapter or excuse me, Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit is poured out? What's the fruit of the Spirit? They begin to prophesy. They begin to, to, to declare the things of, of the Lord and the things of God. The tongue doesn't always have to be used to bring destu- destruction. Through the tongue, You become like Jesus in the sense that you bring life through your words. You speak truth through your words as opposed to, frankly, bringing hell through your words. You see, when James likens the tongue to something like fire, fire can obviously be a negative thing, but it can also be a positive thing. It depends on whose hands the fire is in, right? In its proper context, fire can be used to bless and to create heat and to create Energy and to bring life. Even think back to, to Acts chapter 2. What's the visible representation of the Spirit being poured out on those believers? Tongues of fire. Fire was over their heads. The difference is in the source and, who, and in whose hands the fire is in. The difference is in, is in the source and whose hands our tongue and our words are in. Because that makes a big difference between whether or not you leave a blessing or you leave a burning. So the question is, how do you put your tongue and your words in Jesus's hands? Well, that's part of what James talks about in James chapter three, verses nine through 12. And that leads us to the final point. Our words are transformed by way of our hearts. Our words are transformed by way of our hearts. James says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, James laments the fact that with my mouth, I can praise and talk God up. And yet with the same mouth, I can turn around and talk people made in God's image down. With the same thing that I talk God up, I turn around and use it to talk others down. And in James' mind, James mind when I talk down or I cut down other human beings, I'm contradicting myself. I'm cutting down people who are made in the very image of the one who I'm talking up. It doesn't make sense. And God would say, what are you thinking? Talking me up and praising me up and yet with the same mouth turning around and talking down another human being who I've made in my image. And so James says in verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this should not be, to which we say, okay, James, I know it should not be, but it is. That's the way I live my life. At times, so what do I do? He goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, "Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, my brothers and sisters? Neither can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water." One of the things James wants us to see is that our words are coming from somewhere. Words of of blessing and fresh water, or words of cursing and, and salt water. Where are they coming from? They're, they're coming from somewhere. Where are they coming from? Well, they're coming from my heart. In fact, James, when, when he speaks of both fresh water and, and, and salt water flowing from the same spring and how that can't actually happen, that word flow in the Greek is actually much stronger than just flow. It, it means to gush out or to burst forth. It's the idea of something pouring out from pressure like a geyser. Can both fresh water and salt water pour out, burst out, geyser out from the same spring. I think it's the same idea Jesus was getting at when he said in Luke chapter six, verse 45, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of my mouth is just what's pouring out of my heart. It's the overflow of what's lodged in my heart. So what do we do? Well, the way to deal with the tongue is to giving Jesus lordship over my heart. If I really want to transform my behavior with my mouth towards people and what I say towards people, then I have to have my heart and my mind transformed when it comes to how I think about people and how I see people. That if I really want to deal with my words, the answer is not in just deciding simply to hold my tongue and just zipping my lip. Now, don't get me wrong. That may be appropriate in the moment. And that may be a temporary solution, but ultimately the, the answer is to monitor my heart and get to the point where, where I'm not thinking about them in a manner that, that curses them or tears them down, but rather a manner that, that holds them up as being created in the very image of God whom I am declaring to praise with my mouth. Does that make sense? And so a lot of times we'll say, well, you just, you just gotta keep your mouth shut and, 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 and don't say anything. If you don't have anything nice to say, just keep your mouth shut like some thumper said, right? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Good advice from Thumper, right? But that's okay for a given moment. That's that's good counsel for a given moment. But the key is not just in stuffing my mouth, but instead to come before the Lord and say, Lord, this is where my heart is in regard to this person. Because eventually, if we keep thinking about them in curse-like ways and thinking about them in ways that are less than the image in which they were created, Eventually, those thoughts will come rolling out of our mouths and off of our tongue. And so the answer ultimately is not just in zipping my lip and shutting the bottom half of my face, but there comes a time where I have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, what about my heart and my mind need, needs to be transformed in how I look at this person? Lord, Lord, will you help me to see them and to think of them the way you see them and the way you think of them even in the midst of their shortcomings and their sins because if you don't do that eventually what you keep stuffing in is going to come bursting out studies show that the average person speaks about sixteen thousand words per day i don't know if you think that's a lot or a little it seems like a lot but Um, I've probably already spoken three or four thousand just in this time that we've been together already this morning So it adds up pretty quickly, but the average person 16,000 words a day I know some studies have shown that women speak more than men and they do speak a little bit more than men But it's not significant. My wife will tell you that there's plenty of guys including myself that uh, are good at speaking and and can talk for a While but 16,000 that's that's the average 16,000 words a day So if you average that or take that 16,000 words a day times that by 365 days a year Over the course of a normal person's lifetime, 75 years or so, we'll take off a couple years because you don't really speak when you're young, you just babble, but those aren't technically words. I guess you could count them in, but I'm rambling now. So 16,000 words a day, okay? Times 365 days a year, normal person's lifetime. You will speak over the course of your lifetime, 438 million words. That's a lot of words. It's estimated that you will spend... About a fifth of your lifetime talking. And in one year, if you were to take all the conversations you had and put them in a book, you could fill 66 books with 800 pages per book. It's a lot of words, a lot of talking. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, "The tongue has the power of life and death." 438 million words in our lifetime. You know, a lot of people have a lot to say. The question is, what are we bringing with our words? Are we bringing life or death? Our world is completely saturated with words of death. Divisive, negative words, people who are being cut down and torn down and devalued all the time. But you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, We're called to be different. Instead of words that bring death, we're called to bring words that bring life. But if we're gonna bring words that bring life, then it has to start with our hearts. It starts by allowing the giver of life to speak life into our hearts and our lives so that we can then speak life through our words and our mouths. With the spoken word, God brought good and beautiful things into existence. And you know what? With the spoken word, God still brings good and beautiful things into existence through you and through me. So let that be the true power of your words.